Hi there, and welcome to the Redeemer Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. At Redeemer, we are committed to following Jesus and connecting people to God's transforming love. And I hope that this podcast is just one more way that you connect to God's presence this week. As a church, we are focusing on five important areas over the course of 2021. Prayer, fasting, reconciliation, mission, and fellowship. And we began the year with five weeks talking about prayer. And for the last three, we have been in a series discovering one more step we are all called to take into the other four areas. This week, we were challenged to take one more step into mission and the command Jesus placed on all who follow him. Pastor Adam Barnett shared this challenge and then invited us to hear from Keith Wheeler, a man who has walked over 26,000 miles carrying the cross all over the world. So here is week three of One More Step with Adam Barnett and guest Keith Wheeler. Good morning. It's so good to see you and to worship with you today. Welcome to everybody who is with us online right now, watching wherever you may be. And a special good morning to my wife, Andrea, and her friend, Amy Wopsle, who are watching from Colorado. Good morning. We're in a series called One More Step. We started this year focusing on prayer for five weeks, and then now we're talking about one more step in fasting, one more step in pursuit of reconciliation, and today the subject is one more step of being missional people. Many of you are familiar with the action spy moving series, Mission Impossible, or at least you've heard of it, or you can think of the theme song in your mind right now. Uh, They're some of my favorite movies, to be honest, because if I weren't a preacher, I'd love to be traveling the world and catching bad guys. In the movies, the mission commander would appear on a small screen and say something like this, good morning, Mr. Hunt. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, involves the recovery of a stolen item. You may select three team members and you have 48 hours to recruit your team and meet me in Madrid to receive your assignment. As always, should any member of your team be caught or killed, the secretary will deny all knowledge of your actions. This message will self-destruct in five seconds. And thankfully, Mr. Hunt accepted a lot of these mission proposals because it gave us a great series of spy action movies. I'm here today to tell you that we also have a mission commander and his name is Holy Spirit. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Acts chapter one, verse eight. But here's the deal, this is not a proposal. It's not a proposal. Notice what Acts 1.8 does not say. So what you see on your screens is not Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth should you choose to accept it. This is not a proposal. This is not an invitation, but an instruction to us as Christ followers, not a suggestion, but a commission on our lives. To follow Jesus is to participate in his mission. There's no way of getting around that in scripture. To follow Jesus is to be a participant in his mission here on earth, and the commission is very clear. 
2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ. What an incredible privilege. What a high honor. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Paul called the Corinthians to embrace their divinely appointed status as official representatives of Christ himself. And that's my hope today. Is it time for you, Christ follower, to accept and embrace your status as an official representative of Jesus Christ himself? Because the clock is ticking. There are assignments that we need to get to. This ministry of reconciliation, my friend. You are the light of Tulsa. You are the light of Bixby. You are the light of Broken Arrow and the light of Jinx and the light of Glenpool. You're the light of Northwest Tulsa. You are called to be the light of the world. As a divinely appointed ambassador, you live in a foreign land. You understand me right now, right? You are here in a foreign land. This is not home for you. This is a temporary holding place where you live on mission. You are light in the darkness. And you might be thinking right now, Adam, I don't want to be light. I don't know how to be light. I've never been to light training or light conferences. How am I supposed to be the light of the world? What does that look like? I like to think whatever God calls me to, he's already factored in my stupidity. And at times there's quite a bit of it. Whatever God ever invites me to engage with him in, whatever assignments he puts on my plate, whatever he asks of me, he's already factored in my flaws. And from God's word, he's prepared us for every assignment. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. So we must not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8. And in Luke chapter 12, we see Jesus warning his disciples, not only telling them to share their faith, but also warning them when you do, there will be times when you are forced to defend your faith. People will come to you and ask you to defend your faith. And he says to them in this training time, don't worry about what to say. Don't worry. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. The Holy Spirit will teach you and train you and speak to you in that moment. Now, this is not going to surprise you, probably, and frankly, I'm not very happy to read it to you, but I'm going to anyway. It's a study that proves that many Christians build the message of reconciliation upon the foundation of our own opinions and our own agendas. There's an author who spent three years polling millions of young, unchurched individuals, asking them, what do you think about Christianity? The top six descriptions are heartbreaking, judgmental, hypocritical, homophobic, 
too political, insensitive, and boring. I'm not any more proud of that than you are. But this is evidence, my friends, that many Christians build Jesus' message of reconciliation on the foundation of our own agendas, on the foundation of our own opinions. And I, want you, I say this in love, to be frank right now, I say this lovingly to you. If, if your initial reaction to this data is one of feeling defensive or in denial, then maybe you're unfairly judging the millions of young, unchurched people who were polled as a part of this process, thus proving that they have a point. Here's a reminder for us today. God doesn't need you to fix anybody for him to save somebody and love somebody. We're not in the business of fixing. That's Jesus does that. Jesus is the provider of righteousness, not you and not me. God doesn't need us to fix anybody. God wants us to love everybody. That's all he's asking, love. Everybody are, are gonna know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. In the Huffington Post, I found staggering statistics on religious preferences and church attendance. And when people are asked, what is your religious preference? We're up to one in four people in the United States answer by saying none. I have no religious preference. This new group of people among us, now known as the nuns, if this trend continues, will become the largest religion in the United States. This is our mission. One in four people that you interact with on a daily basis would say that their religious preference is none. This is where we take the mission of reconciliation. Hear this challenge from British theologian and outstanding author, by the way, Leslie Newbigin. He writes, if the gospel is, is the story of the astonishing act of God himself and coming down to be a part of our alienated world, to endure the full horror of our rebellion against love, to take the whole burden of our guilt and shame, and to lift us up into communion and fellowship with himself, breaking into a self-centered search for our own happiness, shifting the center from the self and its desire onto God and his glory. If that's the gospel, then he writes the perversion of the gospel is when Christians turn the good news into something that they could possess for themselves. Privatizing this mighty work of grace and talking as if the whole cosmic drama of salvation culminated in the question, how can only I be saved? That's the perversion of the gospel when we make it all about me and not about my neighbor also. As I said earlier, to follow Jesus is to participate in his mission. Paul knew that the mission he was on would include trials and tribulation. He knew this truth very well. He was in prison frequently and flogged severely exposed to death again and again, beaten with rods, pelted with stones, constantly on the move, in danger from rivers, in danger from both Jews and Gentiles, shipwrecked and in danger at sea. 
He went without sleep. He knew hunger and he knew thirst. And he lived every day of his life with this constant tension and concern for the beloved church. Yet it's all worth it. If we could talk to Paul today, was it worth it? I believe he'd say every bit of it's worth it for just that one person, just that one person who turned and placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. I just got to do the setup this morning. I'm not preaching a full sermon. You get to hear from a dear friend of mine, though. When it comes to the ministry of reconciliation, I immediately think of Keith Wheeler. I learned about Keith's ministry in 2005, and soon after, we became good friends. He has carried a wooden cross over 26,000 miles. That's more than the circumference of Earth. And that's a thousand marathons, buddy. Traveled the cross over 26,000 miles through more than 180 countries on all seven continents. I had the privilege of walking with Keith in West Africa. I got to see Keith love. I got to see Keith in action. Oh, have I learned so much from him along the way. I also learned if you get violently attacked by termites, he will stand by and laugh at you. He likes to tell that story, or when we were attacked by man-eating blackbirds in Belgium, or the river that wasn't supposed to have crocodiles, but did. I invited Keith here today because he embodies missional living as much as anybody else that I know. And I knew that hearing from his story and his experiences would bless and enrich your life and inspire us all to be on mission. Would you put your hands together and give a warm Redeemer welcome to Keith Wheeler. Good morning. It really is an honor to be able to be here with you guys. I'm, I'm so thankful for this family and I'm so thankful for Adam. And really and truly, you've got to ask him about the termites. Um, it was his idea, sort of, uh, but it's a great story. And uh, if you get any time with him, be sure and ask him. And, and maybe you need to ask me because maybe there's, there's always two sides to another story. Um, he mentioned that by the grace and the mercy of God, I've now carried this cross on foot more than 26,000 miles around the world. In fact, that was just last week that I took the step that was more than the distance of 26,000 miles. But here's the deal. God never called me to carry the cross 26,000 miles. He didn't even call me to carry the cross 26 miles. And if the truth be known, he, he didn't ask me to carry the cross one mile. All he has asked me to do is take the next step. And that's all he's asking you to do this morning. So often we look at a project that just seems so big, go into all the world, go into all of Jerusalem, 
all of Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And it seems so big. But God just asks you to take the next step. I had no idea on this spring morning, that Good Friday morning back in 1984, that I would still be walking. I just thought I was going to walk through Tulsa with a cross. Now, in all fairness, God may have looked at me and said, you know, that hillbilly boy, I'm a hillbilly from Arkansas. Uh, I think maybe he looked at me and said, you know, he's not real smart. He's not real good looking. He's not at all a good singer. Um, He's not a real good preacher, but he loves me. And he loves people. And he can carry wood. See, he'll take what we give him. Moses, what's that in your hand? And so all he asks us to do is take that next step because he wants to use that to make his name known in our world. I'll never forget a a number of years ago, I felt like God wanted me to take the cross to the top, to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. Now, Mount Kilimanjaro is the highest accessible peak in the world. That's without any technical climbing. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in the world. And I'm married to a fairy tale princess, by the way. She can't be here this morning because she's attending an online class, finishing up her degree. She does say hi. But she's walked with me. And she walked with me to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. And on that last night or the last day right before the ascent, you begin at 11 p.m. at night. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, I'm sure. Probably number one reason is you're going to have a long day that last day. You begin walking at 11 p.m., and at best, you finish 18 hours later. Some people finish 22 hours later. It's a long day. You can't really stay up at the top very long, because once you get up there, there's, there's no oxygen. It's over 19,000 feet. It's the highest in all of Africa. And there were people up there that needed to know about Jesus. There were other climbers that had been climbing along the way. Uh, people from all over the world. They gave their lives to Jesus. And it was awesome. But then you turn around and you have to go back down. And I saw the real reason why you begin at 11 p.m. Because at 11 p.m. you start in the dark. You've got a little headlamp, but you really can't see much. But when you turn around and you see what you just walked up, you see how treacherous it is, how dangerous it is. Cliffs and crevices. Who would start climbing anything like that if they could see what it looked like? And I thought, How many times God allows us to start things in the dark? Because if we saw how dangerous, how hard, how far it would be, we never would have started. And by the way, our guide, his name was Emmanuel. Never take a tough journey without Emmanuel as your guide. <laughs> but see, that's, that's really the whole point of this thing anyway is Jesus. It's not about the journey. It's about the one who promises to go with you each step of the way. 
Every step of the way, he promises, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And he's been with me to the ends of the earth, through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm not an adventurer. I'm not uh, a world traveler. I'm a follower of Jesus. Because people matter along the way. And I, I'll never forget when I began this journey, laying in my room and I was just laying flat on my face. I had read that scripture, Acts chapter 1. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. I had also read Jesus' words in Luke chapter 4 when he's reading in Nazareth. The, the scroll, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me not to have chills, not to hear wonderful music and wonderful sermons. He's anointed me to preach good news. And then he says, in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And I begin to wonder, is the Holy Spirit even on my life? Is, does he even live with me? Because I'm just the shyest, most fearful, most insecure, most timid person that you've ever met. God didn't call me according to my strengths. He called me according to his grace and mercy. God doesn't call you according to what you can or cannot do. He calls you according to his grace and his mercy and his purposes in the earth. And so I remember reading that and I said, Lord, I'm so afraid. And I, I laid down on my floor and I began to cry out, God, I need more of you. More, Lord, more. Give me more of you. And I felt like he said, be quiet. And listen to me. I'm not a stock. I'm not a commodity. I'm not a, a parcel, a part, or a portion. I'm all I ever was. I'm all I ever will be. I'm all that I am. And when I came to live with you, all that I ever was, all that I ever will be, all that I am, came to live with you. The question is not you getting more of me. It's me getting all of you. My friends, God is more interested in reaching all of your heart that he is in reaching all of the world. Because when he has someone whose heart is completely his, he has someone he can reach all the world through. He wants to be with you. And he gives us this invitation to follow him. And I'm telling you, he's doing amazing things around the world. I was carrying the cross a few years ago across Mongolia. And part of Mongolia is the Gobi Desert. Mongolia is the land of Genghis Khan. Until 1994, there were zero, zero, zero known believers. In our world, by the way, there are 3.2 billion, that's with a B, people who have never, ever, ever, ever heard his name. They have no idea what this is. They've never held one of these. They've never, ever heard the name of Jesus. And Mongolia is one of those places. And I was walking with the cross, and so I'm walking across the Gobi Desert, who the only people, by the way, who visit there are dinosaur bone hunters, nomads that live there, and adventure tourists. And I heard a motorbike turn around, and this guy who looked like Genghis Khan pulled up, and his, his face was shining. He was so happy to see me and the cross, and he says, you're that man, you're the man. I said, what do you mean? He said, last night I had a dream. Someone was carrying one of these. I couldn't look at him though. 
Because when I looked at him, it was brighter than the sun. He said, all I could see were his feet. He was wearing sandals, and he had blood on his feet. And when he spoke, his voice sounded like waterfalls. And he said, tomorrow I will meet someone who's carrying one of these, who will explain what it is and who I am and how you can know me. And I had that privilege. And this big Mongolian man with a big bushy beard got really happy. He grabbed me by the shoulders and I'm trying to be culturally sensitive. And he goes, oh. Now I don't know if that's good or bad in his culture. He was crying, not just tears like this, but squirty tears. I've only seen it once and that's been since that time. It was like windshield wiper fluid. But then he took it up a notch. Again, I don't know if it's good. And he goes, this is, this is. And right through that beard, and beards are evidence why we need to wear masks. If you got a big bushy one, he had like two days worth of picnic and spit. And right through the picnic, right through the, the spit, he hugs me and he kisses me right on the mouth. This is, this is, this is, this is happy news. And I thought, God, forgive us for making it. Have you heard the good news? And for all the pressure we have to put on pastors to come up with a new spin on an old message, where we've become so comfortable. God has given you and me the privilege, the invitation, the king of the universe, the invitation to sit on the front row center stage and watch what he does best. Not 26,000 miles not 26 miles, not one mile, the king of the universe, the king of all kings has invited you to take the very next step. God bless you. Pastor Adam. Keith has a very unique call on his life and ministry to others. But so do all of us. And you may not ever receive a call to carry wood and not know that that would take you over the course of your life, 26,000 miles around the world. But you are called to mission. And geographically, if you look at Acts 1-8, there's a little bit of strategy there. Starts with Jerusalem. Starts in your neighborhood. So I'm going to ask you all to bow your heads. And as you do, I invite you to picture your neighbors. If you've never met them, picture their home. You drive by it daily, picture their front porch. And I invite you to take a moment and pray for them. I'll pray for our neighbors.
Lord, we don't want to be a people who see the gospel as a message just for us. Or the question, how can only I be saved? But we see the gospel as happy news for all people. We lift up our neighbors to you today, Lord. Give us a burden to see them through the lens of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, to be on mission in our neighborhoods and to those who live down the street. Give us the opportunity to stand with them in their struggle, in their hardship, in their burdens, to rejoice when they rejoice and to mourn when they mourn. Lord, we want to be people on mission in our Jerusalem. So give us boldness. Give us courage. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Those among us who you are calling us to love. God, we don't want to build your message of reconciliation upon the foundation of our agendas any longer or our own opinions. Help us to talk less and listen more. And remind us each time we see our neighbor that they will know that we are your disciples by the way that we love. Thank you for your mission in our lives, Jesus. That you left the 99 came for me, came for my friends. Help us to partner with you and do the same for our neighbors. Through Christ, our Lord, we pray these things. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.